again, I want to say it's lovely to be with you. And uh, you know, there just seems to be <coughs> uh, an unusual attack. Um, unusually so. There's always attack. There's always been attack. Uh, don't think, as Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, don't think you're unique, Timothy. Uh, sometimes it's like, nobody loves me, nobody cares, I'm going to eat some worms, you know. And Paul said, no, 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 Timothy, I want you to know that's not the case. Other people are eating worms, and they've been eating worms for years. Um, that doesn't change or affect God's commitment to us. But there is something that I believe we need to contend with, both in the year now and for the there and then. Uh, but it's not to the neglect of the year now. And there are a lot of churches... Uh, that uh, have pushed aside the miraculous uh, for uh, fear of disappointment. So we're not going to disappoint you, and we're not going to disappoint each other. So we know God understands, and uh, there are very few people that are being healed, being delivered, being uh, set free in areas both uh, psychosomatically, psychologically, uh, spiritually. Uh, and so we're just going to keep on keeping on and so we'll just be a bum on a seat. No, then you're not in the kingdom. It says in Matthew's gospel, Matthew was quite clear. He said, for the kingdom of God is forcefully, forcefully advancing. And only the violent. Don't give me a brew. You can see he was a good student. <laughs> and only the violent will take it by force. And so there's this thing of, uh, acknowledging the need for me to be not only in the faith, but also in the fight. Uh, and there's a need for me to be front-footed in the fight. And sometimes you are dragging yourself along in the fight, but it's then, in your weakness, he'll show his strength. And so I know it's, it's easier to be involved in the fight when you feel like being in the fight. Uh, it's lovely to be in, 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 in the context of worship when you feel like worshiping, when you feel like rejoicing. Amen? When you feel like giving thanks because uh, Tatama Chan, Satama Million has just given you that phone call. <laughs> so we, we, we know there, there are times when we feel like, but the psalmist often spoke about times when he didn't feel like. He'd even speak to himself, a little bit of a schizo, you know. He said, why are you so downcast on my soul? Now you find him waking up and going to the mirror in the morning, saying, hello. But sometimes we need to do that to ourselves. We, we need to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck. We need to pull ourselves in alignment uh, with what God's Word saying, what God's Word making known to us. Um, and so, if anything, I'd like to just give a word uh, concerning in the light of what uh, Rian had asked, but securing our legacy and destiny. In the light of eternity. We've got to secure it. I must secure my legacy that has been. Knowing this, not just because there's a legacy that the legacy is going to be maintained forever. No, you can lose your legacy. So no, 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 it's not good theology. Believe me, that's good theology. I'm a good reformed student. And as a good reformed student, I'm telling you, you can lose your legacy. 1 Corinthians 3 says you won't lose your salvation. Go and read it in 1 Corinthians 3. 
But it says, once you test it with fire, if it's not that you've built on silver, gold, precious stones, and instead you've built on wood, hay, or stubble, the only thing you're going to end up with is being knee-deep in ashes. There's no legacy. So when I speak of securing our legacy and our destiny in the light of eternity, it's the only thing we're going to have for the whole of eternity. And so I keep saying it's not only important how we live, it's important how we transition. I keep saying that to folk. Um, and, uh, you know, people all over now, they quickly want to grab me because they think I'm going tomorrow. No, I don't think I'm going tomorrow. But I'm also in extreme discomfort. I mean, even being here, I don't know what the diggings it is. So, um, uh, you know, I'm going to have to go into possibly some form of uh, pain management uh, or whatever they call it. But, you know, as long as I have strength in my being, I want to participate in the fight. Not only in the faith. And, you know, if I'm like this, I'm like this lying down. I'm like this standing up. I'm like this behind the pulpit. I'm like this on my motorbike. <laughs> I think is I, I want to sneak the helmet off where no one's looking, you know. And uh, just put my head in the wind and my head in the trees and my knees in the breeze and just go along the highway somewhere, you know. But I don't, I don't. Pam just gives her apologies. As I mentioned, she had gone down with COVID. She actually finishes this evening's the end of her time uh, for her isolation, which I'll be thankful for. I've also found it very interesting in the light of everything that I feel the Lord's exposing and making known to me uh, that uh, when I've been studying Israel and the church over the years, uh, that there's something in the church that God has already identified. And it's leaders. We are desperate for leaders in Jostian. Andrew contacted me yesterday and besides telling me about hunting from an airplane, which is a new thing for him now. <laughs> uh, now I've got the pastor, Andre, in Vintuk. He's got a little plane. And so they went into the, the Red Hills. Sounds like a Louis Lemur cowboy book. And uh, he went and got his, his quota sounds like from the plane, you know. I said, oh, it's exciting. But he's also speaking about, speaking about the need uh, for, for God in, in the middle of this, for God to raise up for us men and women of destiny. And so <clears throat> whatever's gone before is legacy. And you need a secure legacy. But you need to take hold of destiny. Uh, and that's what the enemy wants to at all costs try and stop. Uh, I just saw something put on concerning the cockroach that uh, it's one of the few things that survived Hiroshima and Nagasaki. All these cockroaches. And uh, that you can't, it's very difficult to kill a cockroach. But what they found out is although it's very difficult to kill them, it's very easy to make them infertile. That is interesting. So they've now designed a food with a chemical in it the, uh, cockroaches love this food they eat this food and it makes them sterile now the devil doesn't mind that you're around he just wants you sterile just doesn't want you to reproduce so you can't do anything at this point in time about the legacy of other people who have been affected and brought into the kingdom 
but he is concerned that you can reproduce and fulfill the prayer of Christ, let your kingdom come in me, let your will be done through me. Uh, I want your kingdom to come on earth. That's something that he doesn't want. And so, as I said, it's been very interesting looking at uh, Israel and the church over all these years. And uh, yes, I've had to engage in a lot of it through my studies. But uh, I've had a, uh, an uncanny interest uh, in uh, the choice and the workings of God. And I want to say, I just want to zip all Mervis's anointed chair here again. I know he anoints it and then he flows in it, you know. <laughs> so I'm hoping there'd be some aftermath on it for me. But um, this whole thing of looking at Israel and looking at the church... And the thing that becomes very clear to me, in the light of pursuing what God has for us, it's always initiated through a person. Always a person. And because of that, I know that a person will attract the attention of the demonic. Because if the sheep are scattered, it's because the shepherd's been scattered. He's been driven. Jesus makes that very, very clear. And uh, although it's initiated by a single individual, and it's what Andrew and I have been talking about, we need to trust God uh, for men and women to arise, uh, to say enough's enough. Yes, I know my circumstances. I know my difficulties. I know my challenges. But I'm going to trust God for something that's going to take me into the more. Um, I, I, I want others, when they look at me, to start seeing me differently. I want them to see me as, as somebody who doesn't only want to be in the faith. As wonderful as it is being in the faith, but I want to change, I want to transition, I want to get into the fight. Uh, and you know, Pam has said to me over all these years, the thing that has secured her most as a wife and as in the help meet in the ministry is when she sees me totally dependent on God. Sees me alone in the room with the door closed. Sees me with the scriptures. Sees me crying out to God. Said, then she's most secure. Not that she's most troubled. You think, oh, young, what's going on now? You know, how come Will's here on this uh, leave me alone day into two days, into three days, into what's going on? Said, then she's most secure. And I want to say that there's something that God has for us that's got to be birthed in us. And I love it. Jesus keeps saying, for those of you who are thirsty, come and drink. Because People who aren't thirsty don't want to drink. I mean, it's like, you eat with long tana. But yet, when you're really hungry, it's almost take my lips, my teeth come later, you know. You just swallow it. And uh, there's something that we need to ask God to do for us to, to make us thirsty for the things of God. Um, make us long uh, for, for uh, His presence. The reason I'm sharing this there's a point to it. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, looking at these leaders, and I've studied many leaders, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you know, and then jumping to Moses, and then Joshua, and Caleb, and then they fell away. Then it was the time of the judges. And as I shared with the children's church yesterday, uh, the Lord showed me at one of the teaching sessions that our children know everything about these great heroes of our faith. Uh, yeah, they know about Samson. What's Sam say? Who's Samson? Oh, they'll tell you. Eh? 
Um, who's Daniel? They'll tell you. Who's Moses? They'll tell you. Who's Noah? They'll tell you. But now tell me about the God of Moses. Tell me about the God of Noah. Tell me about the God of Daniel. See, they, 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 there's something more to that person. And this young guy, David, never made much of David. But he made much of the God of David. You know, if you go through the Psalms, it's almost like he's saying, if you've met me, direct opposite to his son Solomon, if you meet me, you'll never forget me. Because Santa Maria, I glow in the dark. And I'm God's man of power for the hour. Not David. Now, David had many shortcomings that, that Solomon picked up and went down to his grandson as well. But we do find with David was, if you've met me and you forget me, you've lost nothing. But if you meet him and you forget him, you've lost everything. That was the heart of the Psalms. And this thing of being in the faith is one thing. But to be able to stay in the fight, it, it's only secured, and I want you to know this, it's only secured by one's relationship with the source. And David knew that. Um, you know, there are many commentaries that um, differ with what Luke writes in Acts 13, that he was a man after God's own heart. And they say, I don't know if he was a man after God's own heart, you know, because he didn't perform. No, 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 you don't perform to be a man after God's own heart. You don't have to get information to be a man after God's own heart. You got to, through revelation of who God is, be a worshiper. That's a man after God's own heart. That's a woman after God's own heart. Because when I worship, I subject myself. I acknowledge my need. I am dependent. And we see in Psalm 51, when David messed up so big, he said, treat me like a leper. Cleanse me with hyssop. And that's what they did. They take the hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, and the leper used to come as far away as possible and touch him over there and say, next please. And the psalmist said, cleanse me like one cleanses a leper. Um, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So his focus was on God. And so in the Old Testament, we see God leading this prophet Samuel to anoint David. The problem was Saul was still king. I mean, hey. I mean, it's like putting your hand in a vicious cobra's nest, you know. Because somewhere, somehow, this is going to get back to King Saul. And, of course, David and his entire family witnessed this. But, you know, God's always looking for a man or a woman who will rest their case in his choice. Now, what I mean by that is, isn't so much that God is putting something on me for more. He who desires leadership in the life of the church desires a good thing. He, he puts something on me for more. Um, I try to avoid it at all costs. 
I didn't want it. To tell you the truth, and it's a strange thing how God changed me, I couldn't do an oral at school. And he said, okay, okay. He used to call me Billy. Okay, Billy, you can go to the change room. Go, just put a little bit of water on your mouth, and we'll wait a while. Maybe you can go last. I mean, you say, never, no ways. That day I got into that pulpit, and Derek Stone, the pastor, said, I believe you've got a preaching gift. I just got saved. I didn't even know it was in the Bible, and that's the truth. But you know, he saw something. And somewhere in me, he saw God had given me something. And I want you to know that we as leaders are starting to see something in some of you, but we can't bring you into the good of it. You must be hungry for it. You must be thirsty for it. You must be willing to release whatever's needed to be released for it. And uh, as I say, I preached, it was the shortest message I ever preached. I think it was something like seven minutes. It was the evening, First Baptist Church congregation upstairs and downstairs. It was Rex Matthews Church. I mean, geez, yeah. I mean, this was a church. As I say, I introduced them to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I took them into the fire and out of the fire, and I pronounced the benediction I had written down. And my uncle was there, he was unsaved, and he just smiled and nodded and left afterwards. But I did have the privilege of leading him to the Lord afterwards. But I want to say, God is always looking for a man or a woman who will be secure with him. And God had to make me secure with him. And the only way I could become secure with him was the way every other man and woman can become secure with him, and that is by spending time with him. You see, David and Saul differed because David spent time with God the Father. Saul never did. Saul was man's choice. He walked personality, talked personality. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. So some of the shorter guys, you know, always trying to get over the short man syndrome, you know, buy the big car, put the elbow out the window, you know, <laughs> maybe put a cushion or two underneath so I don't look so low in the car, you know. I mean, all that nonsense. God's into short man syndrome. David was ruddy and it says he was short of stature. He was short. This was a shorty. Maybe Zacchaeus was part of his family later on. I don't know. But, but one thing I do know is when scripture says I'm not interested in what man sees in a man. I'm interested in what I see in a man. I want to see hunger. I want to see thirsting. I want to see something that has to do with my heart. And so we find that God, God's man knows God's heart. God's man knows God's heart and he secures himself in it. This was the difference between Saul and David. David knew God and therefore knew God's heart. Trusted God's friendship and timing for his promotion. Today you're going to be the king, eh? Here comes Samuel, you're going to be the king. I mean, this is the prophet of the day. This prophet doesn't miss. You know, if you miss in those days, you got stoned to death. You make sure you don't miss. That's why today, you know, yay, 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 thus saith the Lord. You should actually say, listen, you better be spot on on this because the word says if you miss it, there's a possibility God's going to kill you. I mean, that's the Old Testament. So nobody ran around prophesying. But this Samuel knew he is not only putting his, 
his, his whole being and his worth of ministry into, into his own hands before God, but this man saw. And so it says here in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Um, I wonder if we could stick that up. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. It says, and speaking of Saul, have we got that? Okay, it says, uh, but now Saul, your, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. All right? So it says here, watch this. For the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. It's important that. You know, over these, into now 44 years of ministry, married 44 years, been an absolute delight. But you know, it hasn't always been the guys that I called the big shot guys. I was part of a big shot movement. We wore crocodile skin shoes. I joked about it, Rolex. I... My, my watch wasn't up to scratch. I had someone give me a Rolex. Had someone give me a ring, gold ring, with the biggest diamond from Kimberley I've ever seen. So that when I put my hand like this, it would shine on the roof. <laughs> I bet the father said to Jesus, and what's Will on about today, you know? That was my pose. Yeah. Three-piece Italian suit. Hey, hey, hey. It made me keep my weight. You know. <laughs> so when I walked up, it's almost like a year, isn't the pastor awesome? It's a strange thing, this. But you know, when you encounter God, the external means nothing. I heard a guy come out from the States and say, I want you to know if you haven't got the anointing in a pair of board shorts, you haven't got the anointing. I thought, dear God, how can he talk like that, you know? We must respect the presence of God. I said, Yo, well, what do you do when you go to the loo? I mean, you know, we get so spiritual. And this guy just unpacked this and unpacked this till eventually I said, dear God, I'm under. This thing that I want to just drop and I'm going to cut short here, has to do with making sure that you secure your legacy and fulfill what God has for you in your destiny because of your relationship with Him. Yeah, in Acts 13, 22, it says, And when he had removed him, Saul, removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man, he says again, after my own heart. You will do all my will. You know, people have often said to me, bumped into a guy uh, in Indonesia. Uh, he is from a uh, um, uh, Chinese background. And uh, he said to me, you know, you're unbelievable. You know, you've, you've done this and you've done that. And, you, you know, and I said to him, at great cost. It was a great cost. Not so much to me. Because yet I always thought it was exciting. Eh? Blade between the teeth, cutting the new nations, planting churches. I mean, where it was more difficult, more exciting. See, but for my wife and my kids, it was great cost. So, you know, my wife, 
She doesn't like humidity and the heat. Eh? See, when we're on the Isle of Man, she goes running, God help her, in the snow. She loves to run in the snow. Their first of January swim up there, remember, it's northern hemisphere. It's 50 strokes through the ice in the sea and back again. Oh, Pam gets so excited for it. I hold her gown with a little bottle of old brown cherry on the beach for medicinal purposes, believe me, boy. And when she hits that beach, I've got to cover her up, you know. But I want to say that there's something that sometimes comes at a cost, if not for you. I said to Pammy, you know, Pammy, I've never suffered from depression. Not for a moment. Not never. I've never suffered from depression. Pam looked at me and in front of a group of people, she said, that's true. But everybody else is depressed around you. <laughs> and she said, no, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I said, no, no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But I want to say when God isolates, selects a man, selects a woman, even as part of a deacon team, he always adds good people when it's of God. And the reason I'm sharing this is because we need a lot more good people. Oh, we need. You know, there's one thing going now with Spot um, uh, to uh, uh, Bonnyvale and uh, setting the two of them aside there. They're still going to be officially set aside now, introducing them to the people, and then looking at, at them as a young couple, and then looking at this that lies ahead. I thought, you know, if this is of God, if this is of God, we haven't only got Bonnie Vale, but we've got Ashton, we've got Robertson, we've got Montague Springs. If this is of God, we've got this whole area because they took Ephesus and then God sent two people from, from Colossae. They weren't even in the ministry. They'd never been taught the scriptures. They heard Paul the Apostle putting Timothy in place in Ephesus, went a hundred miles due east back to Colossae and planted a church in their home that exploded. I said, isn't that fantastic? in Richards Bay. You know, people said, well, you, you know, where did you do your elder training? He said, I wasn't even a comm leader. I said, oh, he's already planted uh, into Umtanzini with Robin Vell, the other Robin Vell. So, so, I mean, and, it, and it's exploding there. I've just bumped into Robin Vell at the airport, flying back now, two weeks ago from Richards Bay. And uh, I, I want to say there's, there, there's something God's doing. Uh, but he's raising up. Sometimes people are saying, well, I, I don't know if I'll be qualified for that because of this, that, and the other. Listen, don't ever think that God is looking at who you are from the outside. He wants men and women. Uh, but because David had his confidence in God, he didn't push. He didn't take. He was led. He waited in God. And, uh, you know, we know the story unfolds. But when it says God added good men, um, at the age of 25 years of age, while running from King Saul, God brings 33 senior, senior, mighty men, uh, to join David. And 1 Chronicles 11, 1 Chronicles 12 tells us of their conquests. One of these 33 men, we are told, listen to this. I mean, this is unbelievable. Killed 800 men in one day because they faffed around in his barley field. 
said, I planted this barley. I'm going to secure this barley. My family's going to eat this barley. I'm tithing 10% of this barley to the Lord. So in any event, that doesn't belong to you. So come and get it. 800 men. It said eventually his hand couldn't come loose from the sword because it was molded to the sword with their blood. I mean, yeah, that's a terrible picture. This is one of the men of the 33 God gave to David. There were 33 of them. He was one of the least of the 33. Four others of them each killed four of the other brothers of Goliath. No wonder David took the five stones. He knew there were five brothers. It's not he's going to miss. Oh no, he doesn't miss. But these, are, these guys, they killed. It says they mentioned the other four sons of Gath. Mentions them by name, who they killed. And this is unbelievable. These are the 33. God will add good men. God will add good women. Um, it's It's wonderful. Another one, I love this guy. He's actually one of my favorites. He was walking past a pit. And in the pit, the first pit, there was a bear. I don't know if he wanted the pit for his toilet. or, But the bear is in my pit. It says he jumped into the pit and killed the bear with his bare hands. I said, that's a ticked off soldier. boy. <laughs> then there's another one where there's a lion. Oh, you don't need that lion. He's... Mad, he's fallen into a hole. No, he jumps into the hole. You know? I thought, you know, David didn't become powerful. And the reason I shared that with you and lay claim to his success due to his skill or the skill of these 33. Now it tells me, I love this, in 2 Samuel 5, verse 10. I love this. 2 Samuel 5, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Let me tell you, you want to become great in the purpose of God? Spend time with God. Enjoy God. Thank God for what he puts around you. Thank God for infrastructure. Yes, build the barn. I will fill it, says the Lord. And he does. I mean, we've got an evening congregation out of this as well. We've got other folk in other congregations out of this as well. Even though the pastor comes in a tutu, you know. <laughs> but with those legs, my brother, you can get away with it. It's okay. <laughs> if it is one of those, those skinny jobs from City Bowl, I'd say you need to get out of that quickly. <laughs> Don't tell City Bowl I said that. Uh, they got those becrapers they wear. You know those? those uh, yeah, and that, that gap hangs halfway between the knee and the crutch. You know, I think, how can these guys be comfortable in this? But God bless them. Okay, that's got nothing to do with what I'm sharing. But I want to just say, David didn't become a powerful leader and lay claim to his success because of his ability or the ability of these unbelievable men who were around him. Now, I just want to jump quickly. I just want to mention these things. Just mention them. Time is gone. But I want to say, if you want to position yourself for God to use you, relationally, aligning yourself to God, and that's why people thought me a little weird at times. In summer, 
I don't know how many more summer months I'll have. But in summer, as soon as summer comes, I pull a mattress onto the garage roof. And I lie there and I look at the stars. Every now and then, goes a shooting star. And every now and then, he come a Russian Sputnik noch. You know? But you know, it's the heavens declare the glory of God. We eight billion people on the planet. Eight billion. And we worried about me. Oh, you're worried about me. Oh, I wonder what that pain was. Maybe it is tomorrow, you know. Oh, what, what this? Yeah, so, oh, yeah, I need to get some more. Eight billion people on the planet. And I'm concerned about me. I mean, live a lot. You know, there's eight billion people on the planet. Jeremiah, Lord, use me. Just one of them today. Maybe two. But if I'm to secure my ongoing destiny in God, through my relationship with Him, I keep coming back to this. My, my passage that I keep coming back to is Ephesians and in Colossians. Uh, but yeah, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul picks up the same theme. He said, you must know in verse 4 that you're chosen. You must know in verse 4 that you're chosen. Now, you won't have time to go through 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1 to 10. But in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, I thank God because you know that you've been chosen. You know, choice, I keep saying, choice gives confidence and choice gives worth. See, I'm, I'm not serving God because I put my hand up. No. I'm serving God because I was so miserable in what I was doing, I couldn't enjoy it anymore. And I enjoyed what I was doing. It's just that I love that, but I've got a passion for ministry. So don't try and swing the two. And be honest with yourself. You want to leave the corporate and go into full-time ministry. And it's not what God has put in you as a passion. You'll be miserable all the days of your life. Yeah. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm so excited. Eh? I say, yeah, another day in the ministry. This is fantastic, you know. Let me tell you, if God hasn't called you into the ministry, don't go into the ministry. Um, just had somebody get in contact with me. He just collapsed from a nervous breakdown. He's a pastor. Because they picked on him. I said, picked on you? I said, Santa Maria. Have I had people pick on me, eh? But uh, when you know he's chosen you, he says, you're never going to be alone. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I will give you good men and women who will surround you. But you've got to secure yourself in me. Like it said of David. I must know that I'm chosen. You know, cho chosen, God's, God's choice is something that gets me to deal with insecurities. You know, insecurities get you to speak about people who have privileges that you should actually have. I should actually be in that position. Why am I being overlooked? Where is this going now? David, 
I want you to know, Samuel anointed me. So now Saul is coming to the cave. I mean, perfect position. Head him with his pants down, boy. He is at the loo. Yeah. I mean, you can't do much with all that around your ankles. Eh? Just a quick zip zip. Yeah, and you feel very vulnerable when it's all around your ankles. It's a quick zip zip. And then he said these words to Saul. He sent him out, let him go out, took something that belonged to him, and stood up and showed him. He said, Saul, I didn't volunteer for this. But I know neither did you. Saul breaks down and weeps. He said, you're more faithful than me. You're more just than me. And he leaves David. But because Saul was still Saul, essentially the broken man, he kept doing the same thing. Because David is a man bound relationally with God. He kept moving more and more into the heart of God. God he knew God had chosen him. I always share this. Let me just share it quickly. Um, watching the time. Give me another five minutes. Five minutes. If you're bummed, just squeeze it. You know? Okay. <laughs> Uh -huh. um, but uh, when I was at school, I keep saying I was as wide as I was tall. But you know, I was a fast, wide, tall fella. I mean, I used to move in all directions when I ran. Some of you heard the story. I mean, I was chubby. Eh? But I was a weapon on the field. Nobody could catch me. I mean, I used to walk my pants because my legs touched each other. My pants used to pull up into my crutch and I'd have to pull my pants down all the time, you know. I remember those times so well. And uh, I can remember at, at PT, we'd have physical education, PE, PT, and uh, the, teachers would, the teacher would do their, mark their books, and so get two boys to choose, choose a side. Yuri, Kevin, you choose a side. And so, of course, Kevin's looking for athletic now for his side. He doesn't want the two by four. You know? <laughs> so he chooses somebody. So then... Yurik chooses somebody. Then Kevin chooses somebody. And I'm saying, choose me. Choose me. Choose me. Choose me. <laughs> then Kevin says to Yurik, when there's just me left, you can have him. <laughs> How do you think I'm going to participate? I'm not. You know why? I wasn't chosen. You know why? Because I wasn't chosen. I wasn't given worth. First of all, God says to Paul, you are accomplishing such a great thing for God in Thessalonica because you know God has chosen you. Because God is putting his confidence not in you. He's putting his confidence in the Holy Spirit whom he's put in you. Isn't that wonderful? So secondly, not only do they know they elect, but in verse 6, he says you also are exemplary. He says, they, they served while under pressure. And you know the, that, uh, that saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know? I don't know, when the going gets tough, the tough leave. You know, people come and they say to Rian, I want you to know I've been looking for a church like this my whole life. Eh? Oh, this is the church. I mean, I don't know how we missed it. We've been living in Cape Town for three years. How could we have not found a Josh Jet? It is unbelievable. And then at the end of the month, they come up and they say, 
Rian, we want you to know that we so thank God for this church and all God's doing through this church and the values you hold to in this church. But Rian, we feel our season is up. <laughs> You've heard that so many times. I wonder how this season is up becomes a thing. Eh? I said, listen, your season hasn't even started. Just give God a chance. You won't recognize yourself when he's finished with you. Exemplary. I love being with people. Like Hacksaw Ridge. Didn't you see the movie Hacksaw Ridge? You need to see it. It's about a young youngster, Seventh-day Adventist, who went to war, the war, at Okinawa in the Pacific Ocean. I love, um, I love history of wars. But how he went to that war and he said, and what they did to him to try and get him out of their unit, because they were the mana, you know, like the, the Green Berets, the Marines. And he said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. And he was the medic in the unit. They hated him because he went to battle without a firearm. And he saved nearly 90 of them without a file, letting them down that, that mountainside on the rope till there was just the bones and the blood in his hands. Only one who won that military medal in the whole of the United States as a non-combatant. You know, I thought to myself, here's a guy who was willing to do the polishing and get no shine. You know, God the Father is looking for men and women after his own heart. Men and women who are after God's own heart will be willing to do what needs to be done. With that, we just want to thank you. Where are you? Now, if you want your reward now, you got your reward now. But there are people, Paul says, that accomplish great things in God, exemplary people. There are people who give of their finance. They don't have to give of their finance. I love what it said concerning the centurion. That miracle was performed in his household for his servant. And it says that for him, a monument has been established in heaven. As you walk in heaven, you fall over this flipping thing. What is this? It's a monument. A monument. Who is this monument to? A monument in heaven to a Gentile. Roman. Who did the polishing? Nobody even knew. Exemplary. Just thirdly, quickly. In verse 8 and 9, they were not only elect, exemplary, but enthusiastic. Men and women who really know the Lord relationally in a today context live for eternity. You live for eternity. I stay enthusiastic in the year now because I'm, I'm not... I'm not building here. I'm just pitching. I'm pitching a tent. And uh, I must stay enthusiastic. This is why I keep saying to folks, I've had folks who have gone before me who have shown me how to die. They've shown me how to die. One was a lady. Burkhard Buchler's wife. I just got saved. Can I please go see her? No kiddies. She was 28 or 29 years of age, riddled with cancer, in the free hospital in East London. 
I learned Psalm 23 off by heart. I was ready to go to Bible school and I knew Psalm 23. So I went to visit Burkhard's wife. I went in, I opened the Bible. Before I could get going, she took hold of my hand. She said, Jesus loves you. I said, well, I'm supposed to be the pastor. Here, you know. <laughs> and for about 15 minutes, she just told me all that she knew about heaven. She had an encounter with the Lord. And she said to me, when your turn comes, be strong and courageous. You're going to go into his presence. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of that room. It was a little private room. She was breaking me apart. I mean, you know, I'm going to start crying in front of the patient, you know. I said, no, you don't do that. I had to try and get out of that room and get as far away from that little door as possible. Burst into tears. I just met a woman who had a heart after the things of God. Out of her flowed a river, a river of life. We need to live well so that we can die well. Pammy and I just heard we've got a couple in the evening, Kong. And uh, oh, where's Justice? He's a sister-in-law. I think she's barely 30. In discomfort, we heard last night, has gone in now and said that she's in stage four liver cancer, spreading to her neck and all. I said, oh God, I really hope and trust that she knows you. She loves you. See, even amongst us here, there were, there were folk, we close our eyes, we can picture them, but they're not here anymore. Lastly, this brings us to this, verse 10. Not only were they enthusiastic, let me tell you, just quickly, I know I've gone over three minutes now. <laughs> Go to Ulaanbaatar with Pam. There's a couple there who want to plant a church. Ulaanbaatar, that's Mongolia. That's the top of the world. We go there. I nearly lost Pam, and I'm not into man flu stuff here. Um, Pam nearly went to the Lord. She was that ill in Ulaanbaatar. She picked up, and they got a name for it. And that's it. Your blood pressure drops to just where you're just alive. And, I mean, it just turns everything inside. Oh, it's horrific. And uh, God touched her. But then following that, we miraculously, God touched her. We met this couple. She's got a little John Lennon glasses, speak fluent English, fluent Chinese, fluent Mongolian, educated. I think she was a, uh, uh, she had registered for her M. And yes, her hubby, and they got this tiny little baby, her hubby, tattoos up his neck. One eye looks like it had tried to look into a bottle from the wrong side, you know. <laughs> Uh, brush cut. They, I think it was a home job. Uh, but uh, yeah, the two of them, full of God. He speaks a little bit of broken English. She interprets Ulaanbaatar. They were so enthusiastic. I just soaked it up. I thought, you know, I used to be like this. Why am I not like this? Where did I lose this? 
I can remember when I first got saved. Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea. He says, well, just this one thing I've got. You've lost your first love. But you're not spending time with me, doing things for me. But And I looked at them. I thought, man, they're so passionate. But then I covered it with, you're so moxie. You know, it's not so makkelijk, me. You know what I mean? So, but I'm staying front-footed. I'm being positive for them. Bought them a girl. We used to have photographs that we put on the walls around us uh, before Phil came and painted them all away. <laughs> he says, no, we, we're not into that. I said, well, let's get into what you're into. Let's go gray. <laughs> 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 Don't tell Phil that, huh? Um, and uh, the, the wonderful thing was, uh, bought them a girl, it's an inside-out Eskimo igloo that is made out of camel hair, and uh, sent them up there, paid for them for, I think, the first year, put my little The King and His Kingdom booklet into Cyrillic, took photographs of that, sent them up there, saw Rob, who was heading up the work in Ulaanbaatar for New Covenant Ministries about 18 months later. I said, how's it going there? He said, you won't believe it. The enthusiasm is contagious. I said, is that so? He said, they arrived there, average is 17 degrees below in the old Genghis Khan capital. Average is 17 degrees below. They went into the commune that's built together with these girls with little tunnels. Folks, we've got you among us. I'm telling you, you yeah. You yeah. There's something God wants to do with you. Uh, there, there's something great God has for you. He said, you know, they went to the chieftain in that area, and they said, if you have any problem couples, just send them to us one at a time. He says, you're everybody's problem here. Alcohol, violence, adultery. He said, it's unbelievable. He said, just send them one at a time. 18 months later, a church of 200. 200. Secured them, discipled them. I mean, you know, that temperature, you're not wasting time outside, you're inside. You know? I mean, it's community all the time. And they, they were just discipling these folk. Enthusiastic. What Am I enthusiastic about the things of God? Then lastly, as I say, verse 10, expectant. Live for eternity. Folks, you've got to live for eternity. I keep saying we're not essentially... Human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We're spirit beings. Having a temporary human experience. I'm telling you now, in the not too distant future, because your place is like pulling a fist out of the bucket of water, it just closes. So yeah, I'm sure I was in there sometime. You say, who is that old guy? Remember that old guy? That old guy, no, no. let's ask dad, he was a young guy when he was an old guy. Let's just check, maybe you'll remember him, you know. And your place remembers you no more. But if you meet me and you forget me, you've lost nothing. But if you meet him and you forget him, you've lost everything. And someone asked if we just bow our heads together before the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for each one in this room. I want to thank you for the way that I encountered you in my early 20s. And you exposed me to the love of Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father.
the wonderful person of the Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery. There's three in one God. It's a mystery, Father. But oh, you drew me with cords of love. And I'm forever grateful. I want to pray for men and women in this facility. Lord, that they will know those who have come to know you, meet you, that you have chosen them. That you've put full confidence in what you've put in them. Yourself through the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, dear God, that there's also a desire on our parts to excel, to be enthusiastic, and to be expectant for your second coming. If you are here this morning and you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've never taken that step, and a guy came to Jesus by night when he was on earth and said to him, how can I get to know God and experience salvation? And he said to him, Nicodemus, you, you must be born again. And I want to say that that happens when I accept Jesus Christ. With my own words, my own heart, I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I ask him to forgive me, living life independently of him. Just as I did. And my life was changed. I had all that pleasure, but I had no peace. And it's God who works in our hearts. It's God who draws us to himself. And if you're here today and you've sensed that God is speaking to you, and you've never made that commitment, never, and eternity is waiting for you, and only those who have made that commitment, whose names are written in this that's called the Lamb's Book of Life, are going to spend eternity with Christ. And if that is you here today, I want to ask, and you have a longing within you to settle this, that you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You want to settle this matter. I want to ask, and aren't anybody looking around? For me, it's always a matter dealing with eternity. If you could just raise your hand, I want to just pray for you where you are right now in closing. Is there anybody here? I'm not taking anything for granted. Anybody here, you've never made that decision. I want to ask you if you can raise your hand and just put it down again so I can pray for you. Is there anybody here? Then I want to ask you if we could stand together. Come, let's stand together. Father, I want to thank you today for the wonderful presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for each one in this building, in this facility. I thank you for each one who knows you and who loves you. I thank you for the fact that we are your workmanship. You have called us. You have chosen us. I want to ask that we would each one find firstly our security in you. Oh, that we would add ourselves to, to others who are leading. That we can come into all, together, all that you have for us. I thank you for Josh Jen. I thank you for the multiplication of congregations all over uh, uh, the Western Cape, the Southern Cape, now up north, and what's happening in different parts of the world. But also with uh, 412, we say thank you. Thank you that we can be part of something where we are seeing the hand of our God. 
is upon us. We are privileged, Father. And so I do, I pray for each one here now also who is going through a difficult time. Oh Lord, that you would fill them, encourage them, secure them. And we as God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I'm trusting that they won't shut us down back to 50 too soon. Amen. So we can keep on having this kind of fellowship. If you see somebody and you don't, just stand back and say, I don't know you. Who are you? Okay, good to see you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Will. For those that want to stay after.